This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Happy New Year! We're back to welcome in 2023 and take a look at our three most recent Skybet League One games. January transfer window expectations, 2022 highlights, New Year's resolutions and a toast to those that we lost throughout the year. Cheltenham Town offer up as our starter, Wickham the main and we finish with a large helping of MK Dons. Before we begin we'd like to wish all listeners, readers and contributors of Argo Life a very happy new year and we really appreciate the support since the reboot of the pod. 2022 saw listeners from all over the world including Singapore, Canada, Qatar, Australia, Israel and even New Zealand. During the most exciting World Cup final in recent memory, on Christmas Day and even someone bridging the gap between last year and this. Alongside me tonight are Sam Down, Joe Bell and John. First, nice, easy question. What are your Argyle-based New Year's resolutions? I'll let you go first, Sam. Write more articles. Nice and simple one. Try and be more controversial on the pod. Enjoy the ride this season. I think it's going to, as the weeks go by, it's going to get easier and easier to panic um, about every twist and turn of every game. But it's ultimately a privilege to be riding so high in such a difficult league with, you know, our budget and expectations and all the rest of it. So I want to enjoy it while it while it lasts. If I may say that's a very good one. It's the one I absolutely will not be able to follow, but it's a very good one. As I said in the intro, we've had a feast of football over the festive period, three games to go over. What I'll do is I'll give you uh, a game each to run over. Boxing Day saw our annual poke up the M5 to Cheltenham. Sam, do the summarising here. Nice and brief, just a quick overview of all things Cheltenham, Sam. Uh, yeah, I think it wasn't it wasn't the most enjoyable game to watch in the world. I think we did deserve to win in the end. I think um, we we kind of plugged away, knocking on the door without really breaking down the door. Eventually we did via, again, another um, long-range Morgan with a goal. Keeper probably should have saved it, but that's another matter. After that, we retreated a bit. We, we got kind of sucked quite deep into our own box, but... Um, Looking back at it, I think at the time I kind of thought we were under more pressure than we were. Like down the far end, it looked like they had quite a lot of good chances, but really watching about the highlights, the chances weren't really that good. So on balance, a deserved win, but not the most thrilling game to watch in the world. Yeah, I noticed that uh, also Schumacher uh, made no changes to the starting lineup there as well. Do you reckon that was more to like keep keep faith after the slump or... Well, we had just won the Morecambe game before and that was a pretty good performance. I think he was just trying to keep with the team that did so well against Morecambe, really. I, I think that was probably all there really was to it. And um, it, it, it kind of worked. It wasn't, it wasn't as good a performance as the Morecambe game was, but it was another win. So, yeah, and a clean sheet. So we can't say it didn't work. Yeah, uh, Morgan Wick into the bottom corner from range, like you said, uh, leaving the keeper scrambling. Uh, similar to a few of his finishes this season. I'm thinking namely away to Charlton. It's becoming a bit of his trademark, right? Those... Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to be um, churlish. I mean, obviously the fantastic season. I think that particular one probably really should have been saved. It was a bit of a, I'm not going to say the word pea shooter, but it certainly didn't have as much strength and power behind it as a lot of the, as like the, the Charlton one or the Ipswich one even. Those were all genuinely very, you know, very good, very powerful shots. But um, hey, it went in, so we can't really complain too much. But if you're a, if you're a Cheltenham fan, you're not sat there thinking what a good finish. You're sat there thinking how to keep it on, saved it. But hey, it was another goal. Yeah, there was a, there was a bit of a debate on uh, on Twitter from from a few Cheltenham fans saying that we that we'd robbed the win. Um, for me, I, I've I've given us twenty minutes per game here. To be honest, I don't think the Cheltenham game needs. I think it's a game that we definitely won't remember at the end of the season. But in terms of in terms of robbing the win, what are your thoughts on that? I certainly don't think we robbed the win. Um, I think, I, like I said, I don't think it was a great performance for sure. And I think we made the last 20 minutes maybe a bit more stressful than we had to. We were very much pegged back at our own penalty box. Did they have any really clear-cut chances? No, but they, they, had a, they had a lot of the ball in the box and a lot of heart-in-the-mouth moments, a lot of moments where my stomach felt like dropping out my backside, quite frankly. But um, I wouldn't say we robbed the win. I think ultimately, we, 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 like I say, you know, that was all after we went. After we won the up, I think at nil-nil, but the majority of it, we were really knocking on the door. We had not really very many clear-cut chances, but a lot of little chances, a lot of pressure, a lot of the ball in the right area. And I did say at half-time, I think if we keep on with this level of, of sort of, you know, le- you know constant build-up around their area, um, <clears throat> we will get the win. And, and we did get the win. So, yeah, I think Rob, Rob, Rob the win is um, not really a fair categorization though. If I may, uh, Sam and Aaron, quickly, I think, as I said after the game, when Sam was, uh, if you'll permit me to say so, Sam, a lot less sanguine about our performance than you're sounding with a week's worth of hindsight. Well, and, and, and the benefit of rewatching the highlights, yes, but yeah, I wasn't, I, I, I admit that my immediate aftermath was a little bit less positive than what I'm being, so yeah, sorry, we'll carry on. I, I think, as I said after the game to Sam, um, in terms of that, that Cheltenham fan reaction, there's a misconception, or it's easy to think that teams that are top of any given league will be putting in scintillating performances week in, week out, and it doesn't work like that. How many times over the years have you seen a team that's been ultimately promoted play Argyle, not look particularly menacing, but just grind out a one nil win, even if even if Argyle played well against them? We've all seen multiple games like that over the years. I think that Charlton one was a classic case of a better team up against a team that you know felt like it was there one of their top games of the season. Uh, It felt like one of those games where Ashui has said repeatedly, we have a target on our backs. And yeah, it was never going to be easy. They they were never going to be as poor as they were against us on Boxing Day last year. We were always going to have to grind them down. And I think we did. And I don't think it's a a big disaster that it wasn't the most convincing performance in the world. But the road to promotion is paved at this level with with wins like that, I think. And I think, you know, on that basis, it was was a great result. Yeah, I agree with that. I did. Definitely with with having rewatched it and... um... And I had a bit, a bit more time to, to think on it and having rewatched it, I would agree with that assessment, yeah. I mean, you've stolen the next question out of my mouth, which is, uh, I suppose this can be applied to all three games and that they've not been the greatest games of football ever witnessed. But great teams win whilst playing poorly. How far away is this Plymouth Argyle side from being a great Plymouth Argyle side? Well, I'll answer that question by saying that we're currently on 56 points in 25 games. If we extrapolate that points per game over a whole rest of the season, which I'm not saying necessarily will, but let's say we did, that would see us end on 103 points. And I think that would be the most points any team has ever picked up in the third tier. I know that Sunderland had 105 and Reading had 106 coming out of the Championship, but I think no one's ever got as many as 103 in, in League One. So we are on track for a record points total. So I think that would, would, would certainly make us a great team for this level. We are a ruthlessly efficient team. Uh, we 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 can play some very good football as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that you know they're all wins, but that we, I think I, I know. I know you said that applies to all three games. I think jumping ahead a little, I think the first seventy minutes of the Wickham game were, were actually very good football. The last twenty were a bit hairy, but I'm sure Joe will come on to that in a minute. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, to cut a long story short, we are capable of playing some very good stuff. But we are also very much capable of of grinding games out, and I think we also have the best goalkeeper in the league who probably turns games that we would we would ordinarily draw into wins and games we would lose into into draws maybe just because he is he, he is that exceptionally good and he just makes saves that other keepers wouldn't even get their finger get their fingertips to and, and that's not a you know that's not a, a cheat code really that that's that's the a goalkeeper that we have so yeah I think 
overall, we are overall, yes, I, I think we are showing every side of being a great team for this level. Yeah, I can't remember what year. I'm thinking around 2010, 2011. Was it Charlton got? They got 100, 101. 101, which is the record, right? So yeah. if we could pip that, that would be nice. I can't I can't see it, but if we could pip it, it would be nice. It would be very nice. Are you impressed, Ryan Broomey? Are you happy with the replacements that we've had since since he departed? Um, is this? Are you asking me about Cheltenham Town's Ryan Broom and his performance on Boxing Day? If truth be told, I, I didn't really notice him at all. I don't really think he had a great impact on the game. I sort of feel like I need to sit here and take back some of the labelling I put on Cheltenham. Um, I had them down as the land of the giants and they were just going to launch the ball up front and bully our centre-halves and it was going to be breaking up the play whenever they could and actually I thought they played a lot better football than I was expecting. I actually didn't think it was too bad a game. I, I had it nailed on as a nil-nil at the hour mark. I didn't see a goal coming. I'd imagine Cheltenham's goalkeeper has probably been waking up with cold night sweats since the game that he's allowed that shot past him. But look, we know Whitaker's quality. He, he can pop up with moments like that. I, I didn't think there was too much in the game on the day. Um, but I guess there's a real quality difference between us at our end of the table and them at theirs in the fact that we have that player who can seize the moment. I did actually like all three of Cheltenham's front three. I thought they caused us... A few problems, in particular in the second half. It was a thoroughly professional afternoon. We got the win. We got the clean sheet. Um, but in reference to the actual question you asked me, was I impressed with Ryan Broom? No. But look, he's going to have a solid end to his football league career at clubs like Cheltenham and that, and he'll make a bloody good living off it, I'm sure. Obviously, it's hard to discuss this one without caveating the win the events at full time. Andre TJ Debar received urgent medical attention on the pitch, but thankfully all is okay. He's since been released from hospital and both he and Gareth Ainsworth have since released statements praising the support of all involved at Argyle. This one, Joe. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think as one nils go in League One, I think this was relatively entertaining purely because of everything that sort of came, what, an hour before kickoff, when everyone was looking at their phones, waiting to see what team both sides were going to come up with. And 6.47pm on Thursday night, and I imagine there were quite a few people looking around at their friends and whoever they were at the game with, going, well, what the bloody hell's going to happen here? I think both managers overthought it with their team selections, I think they both went to play the Joker on each other. And have you ever seen a game where did either side actually have a recognised fullback on the pitch at any at any point in that game? Apart from Joe Jacobson, maybe. To be fair, um, Joe, Ar- I, don't, I would say Argyle don't even have a recognised fullback at the club, really, do we? We have centre backs and, and wing backs, but that's about m- Mumba, I guess. That you would you wouldn't want him playing in the back four, would you? Um, but no, no, um, it was yeah. it was a, it was just a really weird thing that ne- neither side played with a an out and out wide player from the first minute. I just I I still don't know even now after the game what system Argyle played, um, but. Do you know what? Actually, I sat there at half time and thought we've played some really nice stuff here with with no real wide threat. I thought um, Ryan Hardy looked um, quite bright in the first half. I thought he got himself into some brilliant positions. I thought Randall wide on the right hand side. Lord help us! I'd rather even play there than in the number ten role. Um, but I thought he got into some good positions. Um, and then we come to the elephant in the room. Ladies and gentlemen, we scored from a set piece. I mean, I, my heart could have stopped and I'd have been a happy man. I mean, how many, what was it, 40 games? Yeah. Lord, so. knows, Lord knows how many corners and free kicks and God knows what else since. And we finally scored from a set piece. And it has to be said, it was a wonderful ball in by Randall. Um, Dan Scar, who actually had been having his shirt ripped off his back at almost every corner in the entire evening, manages to get free in a space that really you'd think from a Wickham point of view, either a goalkeeper or somebody should be should be in that position. Um, and he taps it home, and look, that that was the difference, wasn't it? Wickham 
I think they registered their first effort on goal on about 24, 25 minutes. That was from a header. They had one quickly after. At that point, it just looked like all their chances were going to come from set pieces. We went in 1-0 at half-time. I stood there thinking, yep, everything's all right in the world. Second half, Ryan Hardy had a hat-trick by the hour mark. That's perhaps probably the, the really frustrating thing for me at the moment is that the chances he's not putting away because he's almost now starting to look like somebody who needs to get a goal just to not not necessarily put a smile on his face. I'm sure he's a very happy man, but just to relax him a little bit, particularly now, obviously, I'm sure one of the talking points of addition. The Wayne train. And then the Wayne train. Yeah, all aboard the Wayne train. And then, you know, credit to Wickham. They had the likes of Wheeler, Vokes on the bench. They were always going to come on and make a difference. And they threw the kitchen sink and all at us. So the 75th minute mark, we won everything in the air. We then have all five centre-halves on the pitch and then for the last 15 minutes couldn't win a header. James Wilson came up with a block of his life. Folks put one a couple wide. Mametti didn't really influence the game when he came on. I thought it was a really odd team selection from Wickham from the off. They left a lot of their key players seemingly in the hotel or even back in Buckinghamshire. But look, I, it's it is what it is. I mean, we've we've done the double over Wickham. We could achieve anything. Pigs have flown outside my window this morning. Yeah, I, I don't think there's too much more to say, really. I think we were we were professional on the night. I think we were fully deserving of the win. I think perhaps we'd have been valued for a little bit more had we got it. You know, I'm probably waffling on a little bit, but that that's the crap. That's the the point of the evening. Um, is that we were professional. We took our chance when it came to us. It probably surprised everyone in the ground that it came from a set piece. But, I mean, at times we played some delightful football in that first half. And there was even a period at the start of the second half where it was one-touch football and we moved it from the length of the field. At times it was a joy to watch. And then obviously the last 15 minutes we were sort of hanging on a little bit. Who cares? It's another win at home. It's a clean sheet at home. There's an ongoing theme here that we... On the pod, we talk about something and then it happens uh, before mm. the next pod. Obviously, we, we mentioned last last time out about Macaulay Gillespie being the last person to score from a corner. Dan Scar pops up, just saying. Are we are we, are we we taking credit for this goal? Schumacher came out after the game and praised Mark Hughes. But, I mean, you know, if you talk about something enough, then it'll happen, won't it? The other thing that happens a lot is that you give Joe an open-ended question and then he answers all your questions, mm. which, is, which is brilliant. I next can waffle question. on a little bit more if you want to. No, about anything, no, no, no. about anything you want from Thursday night. I, I've even got praise for the referee. If you want to hear that, we usually know what to expect from Ainsworth Wickham's side, but it appears not too much of the same here. And I, I noticed that maybe he left too many of his key players out, which you, which you've half answered. No league home win against Wickham since the 2003-2004 season, in which saw us crowned as champions of Division One. Same again, incoming. Um, <laughs> um yes. maybe. Who knows? Why not? Let's let's just get on the hype train now. We're all aboard the Wayne train, so we might as well be on the hype train as well. Yeah, going back to your point about much of the same from an Ainsworth side, I was really disappointed with Wickham. Really disappointed. Like, going into the game, we'd heard that the previous 12 games, we had we were top on 25 points gained. They were sec- joint second with Ipswich on 24. I know they rotated a lot of the squad, but up until that 75th, 76th minute mark when they were literally just throwing balls into our box. I don't really think they offered a great amount. They weren't... I don't think we were ever really in any danger. Like As I say, the two chances in the first half came from a free kick in a corner. It's frustrating. It was incredibly funny from my vantage point in the upper Mayflower to see in the final couple of minutes of stoppage time, Gareth Ainsworth berating the fourth official over how long Michael Cooper was taking to take a goal kick. That did bring a smile to mine and a lot of people's face. Look, I don't, they are a frustrating side. Do they play a, partic- a brand of football that I particularly enjoy watching? Probably not. But look, Ainsworth, you can't knock the job he's done. I said similar praise about Daryl Clark when we talked about Peterborough and what have you when he was at Bristol Rovers. Not many people liked how Bristol Rovers played but it got them promotions and it got them success. And I think Ainsworth's the same. I'd never, you know, I'd, ha- I'd hate to watch them every week. I do wonder if for all the talk about a surprising team selection and maybe the assumption that he was trying to play three-dimensional chess with Chewy or whatever, I do wonder if Quiley didn't just write the game off. 
to be honest. It's the Christmas period. Game's coming thick and fast. They went to Peterborough today, who are a lot more of a direct rival to them in terms of the, the playoff hunt, and, and won very comfortably. Um, oh, you know, I don't know if he'd ever say it out loud, particularly given the contempt well, uh, we, we, in which uh, fans of uh, Plymouth and Wigan mold each other. But um, It's uh, funny yeah, you should say that, John. I wonder if he was just resting players and... and there wasn't really much more to it than that. He, he didn't think it was likely that they were going to come down and get much from us, given where we are in the league. And he, he decided to... I'm not saying he obviously throw the game away and sure he put out a team that he felt would be competitive, but, but you know, I wonder if he felt there were games that it's, they would have a better chance in coming up on the coming up on the schedule and, and decided to, to rest the players accordingly for, for the game against us. It's funny mm. you should say that, because I did listen to his post-match today just to see if he gave any further update on TJ Debar. And he did... Have- say that the changes on Thursday were intentional and that was the, the game of the Christmas period he'd singled out to make all those changes. Falling in line with what you say, John, it is almost like he had looked at that. I mean, he said it was a decision made about four weeks ago. He had obviously looked at obviously our form and where we are in their position. And perhaps he, as you say, just saw, not as you say, to throw points away, but just get more side and if they've managed to pick up a point or even three then he'd have been cock and hoop for him and Wickham's season with easy to say this isn't it but with where Wickham are going to be fighting their battle that they'll fight for the end of the season Argyle aren't going to be involved in that as far as he's concerned he's conceding that Argyle are not going to be in a dogfight for sixth fifth or fourth place in the table yeah I mean if you're a Wickham fan looking at their three games in this festive week if you like (laughs) Bristol Rovers at home, us away, and then Peterborough away. That's three difficult games on paper, but I think one clearly more difficult than the others. You'd think that that kind of protecting the players in a way to enable you to get six points from those three would be something that most Wickham fans would probably take, that I'm sure he would take. Mm. And that's exactly what they got. They beat Bristol Rovers and and they won 3-0 at Peterborough today on the day we were recording. And and so, you know, if it it was, um, if he was resting players to try and maximise their their ability to come into the team today, then... He's a tactical genius. It worked, yeah. Yeah, and they weren't too far away from getting a point against us, although I would argue that was more profligacy and and wastefulness uh, when we should have put the game to bed early in the second half more than anything that they did. But, you know, they did have a couple of chances later on when they threw a couple of their their cavalry on, so could have been even better for them. But um, a good Christmas period for them, nonetheless, I would say. I'm happy for them to play full strength against Ipswich, beat them. They have uh, Sheffield, they have Sheffield Wednesday up next. They can beat those happy days. So basically, what we're saying is, if we win the league, it's Gareth Ainsworth uh, we need to be thanking. You'd <laughs> <laughs> absolutely love that. Mm, um, moving on, moving on. Obviously, Dan Scar picked up back-to-back Man of the Match awards. Well, according to the Argyle app, anyway, uh, earned a place in the Skybet League One Team of the Week. Just how crucial have his performances been over the festive period? Very. Again, another apology I need to make. I sort of played down his absence when we first resurrected the pod. That I thought, you know, we can we can get away without Dan Scar. Sure, we all know how good he is, but we have good enough players. And if truth be told, since he's come back in, we look a totally different side. We really do. Yeah, I mean, he he just wins everything, doesn't he? I know, as I say, the last fifteen minutes against Wickham, we we perhaps weren't winning as much as we were in the air, but he's just a rock, isn't he? He's there to sort out any situation. I actually thought he was one of the standing lot. I know he got the goal, but I thought he was one of the standout players on Thursday night just for his all-round game. Um, He dealt with everything that came his way up until the point they threw everything at us. But by that point, we were so disjointed by the fact we were playing a back five of all centre-halves. And it was just, you know, backs to the wall, see the game there was always going to be the chance for he'd miss headers, particularly as he'd gone up against Brandon Hanlon all night and then had to contend with Sam Vokes for 20 minutes. He was probably quite a frustrated figure that he wasn't on the pitch from the start. How important Dan Scar is to this race for promotion. We need to find a lot of bubble wrap to keep him in. I absolutely agree with all that. I think he's had an absolutely fantastic season and I think it's no real surprise that our worst phase of the season came during the time which she was out through... Well, obviously, the three-game suspension, and then, obviously, just after he came back from suspension, he, he was injured. So, I think that's no coincidence that that kind of 
six to eight weeks that he was mostly absent from was the six to eight weeks of our worst one of the season. Um, I I think he's risen to a level that I didn't think he had in him this season. Don't get me wrong. I certainly didn't think he was a bad player last season, but I thought he was maybe a bit limited, bit of a bit of just a, you know a head on a stick, if you like, middle of a back three. We'll do the job. We'll be solid. Won't be a lot more than that. I think um, maybe that was a bit harsh. But even if there was, if even if there was any truth in that last season, I think he's absolutely risen to a whole new level this season. I think he's been dominant. I think he's 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 read the game incredibly well. His game IQ is just fantastic. Whenever he has the ball at his feet, he makes the right decision. But that's not to say he he executes a, a, a brilliant pass all the time because he just doesn't really have that passing ability in him all the time. He knows what to do. He knows who to pass it to. He knows when to hold on to it. He knows when to release it quickly. And that kind of, I think, football IQ that he's really shown is brilliant. And I also think defensively, he's making virtually no mistakes defensively. Whereas last season, I think whilst he did, again, largely play well defensively, there were a couple of mistakes. There were a couple of little lapses in concentration where defenders got in, got in the wrong side of him or that he just, you know, didn't really quite mark his man closely enough. There's been nothing like that at all. It seems he's been brilliant defensively. He's been great with the ball at his feet. Uh, he's, just had a, he's just had an almost flawless defensive season. And it's no surprise that we're, we look far, far better with him and the team in terms of results and performances. Another injury burden lifted as James Bolton returned to the fray. I'll be honest, it's an absolute feast of football over the Christmas period. And I didn't really even notice that he'd come onto the pit. How did he look in his limited minutes from the bench and how much of a lift is his return, if at all? Touched the ball, did he? I was, I was going to say, I'm trying to remember if he actually got involved. I mean, we all know why he was brought off the bench. Um, but look, we've got six centre-halves at the football club. I asked the question to everyone now on the pod, just turning it round. How it's many? Re- Sorry, I do apologise. How many can we actually rely on fitness-wise? Um, with, with what we know about them. That would be my worry. And, and Bolton fits into that category. We know that um, Schumacher's come out and said we're, we're, we're monitoring and we're managing Gillespie's workload um, because of his injury issues. Obviously, Scars had a period out injured. Galloway's out injured now. Longvike's had a couple of games where he's had to play through knocks or he's had to come off with knocks. James Wilson must be made of granite, is all I'm going to say, compared to the rest yeah. of his back line, because he doesn't ever seem to be injured. Such wood. Um, but well, yeah, that I... about things from the podcast <clears throat> coming through the next game? Oh, don't. <laughs> don't say that. If, oh. if that happens, then I apologise to the entire Wilson family, um, <laughs> and a case of tribute or something is on me. It's important he's back. I don't think we should get carried away. Um, I liked the glimpses I saw of him last year. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I think it's going to be a very similar situ- situation to expect that we're going to manage his workload. We're going to manage what we do with him. I think we'll be demanding too much in too soon. However, he is likely to play the um, Margarita Trophy game, uh, the gas, in t- 10 days' time. So that will give us a clearer indication on his fitness and his well-being. My only worry, as it always has been with that competition when we have injuries, is that I really hope he doesn't get injured in that game. I feel for the bloke because obviously, you know, we we know he's capable, but he just always seems to pick up an injury when it's... Whilst we're on the topic, Joe, I was literally waiting for you to mention it before I asked you about it. Talk us through Hmm. Sam Cosgrove's second half hat-trick against AFC Wimbledon and the Pizza Trophy. He did three goals and kept us in the competition. And I'm so excited that we're now quarter-finalists. I I can't contain myself. I'm already counting down the minutes. Brilliant. That'll do. Just It's not really a question, but anybody slightly worried about Hardy? Um, Obviously, he's had... You know, he's he's played well without scoring, but he's, he, he should have had, uh, was it one against um, Morecambe at least? He, sh- he could have had one or two against Wickham, if I remember rightly. Like, yeah. A- any any worries, or am I just over no. the, the... When, when, when did he last score a goal? Was it the exit of the game? I think it must have been, yeah. wasn't it? I'm not, I'm not worried because it's classic Ryan Hardy. This is what he does. Look, I've I said hmm. many times that a, a, a Ryan Hardy finish looks incredible when it goes in every single time and terrible when it doesn't. Um, you know, that, that sort of like nonchalant sort of scuff thing that he's got going on. There is nothing better than seeing him score one of those. 
Uh, but when it dribbles onto the post, you're thinking, goodness me, why didn't you just lash that in the corner? I think it's just who he yeah. is. I think he scores in, in spurts. Um, hasn't had a spurt for a while, so he probably will have one now. That's just... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried. ...podcast that uh, happens at Bolton. I'm not worried because he's getting in position to score chances. He's creating opportunities. And as John says, you know, if you throw enough darts at the board, one will stick, won't it? And, you know, he creates a lot of opportunities. I think his level of performance the last couple of games has really gone up as well. I think he's really, I think he's really working for the team. Not that he ever wasn't, um, but I think his, you know, in particular, as I say, Thursday night, I thought he really put in a shift um, in the 90-odd minutes that he was on the pitch. Yes, he could have had a hat-trick, but look, he's getting himself into wonderful positions. And sooner rather than later, he will just dink one over the goalkeeper and we'll sit there and say, well, that's vintage Ryan Hardy and he's back to his best. I'd be, I'd be worried if he'd done a Darwin Nunes trajectory from ruthless, clinical, you know, sweet contact on every shot poacher to looking like he couldn't hit a barn door with a broomstick. I, I just think this is how Ryan Hardy finishes. And sometimes they go in and sometimes they don't. And that's been the way mm. for his entire our, our career, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, that one that hit the post against Wickham would have gone in against someone else. I'm sure it will go in against someone else in, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I think I think it's right to say his last goal came against Burton Albion, but we all forget about that because of Adrian Mariapa. He had thirty-five minutes on the pitch, scored a pen there. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, and and since then he's had two assists, and in both games he's played uh, forty-five minutes against MK Dons today, been credited with an assist, and um, Morecambe he came on and changed the game. So so nothing to worry about there. The win drew a close to 2022, in which Argyle finished the year with 27 wins, 9 draws and only 10 losses in the league, totaling 90 points, scoring 73 times, conceding 48, averaging 1.96 points per game. That makes us 7th out of all 92 Premier League and EFL clubs, whilst we also sit 5th in total minutes given to players aged under 23, furthering the development of our academy graduates. Uh, Cooper and Randall in particular. With that being said, nice open question to round off 2022. What was your Argyle-based highlight of the year? And please don't all say Chelsea away. Chelsea away. <laughs> John, any um, any relationship-based reasons why? No, actually. Uh, for, to be clear, uh, for those listening who don't uh, assiduously follow my love life, my uh, girlfriend is a Chelsea fan. Um that actually wasn't really at the time. That's a more recent development, but I, I won't bore everyone with that. Um, I really just said it to, to annoy you, but I do think it was just an unbelievable performance to go there and, and ping the ball around the team that would soon after be world champions if you buy into the whole Club World Cup malarkey. So I think for me, it, it showed how far we've come to be able to go there. And, and unlike other very good FA Cup uh, results that we've had in the recent past, not park the bus, um, and actually go there and play football and chipping the ball over the heads of world-class players. You know, Macaulay Gillespie looking like Franco Baresi, as I've said before on the pod, I think. It was it was a special a special day out. Um, so, yeah, it probably actually does have to be, as well as a, a joke answer uh, to annoy Aaron, as well as being a joke, um, it probably does have to be a sincere uh, answer to your question for me. My highlight of the year, there's a couple actually, um, but I've got to try and narrow it down to one... I'm going to go with Exeter 4-2. Yeah, um, it was a heck of a night under the lights. I've, I've gone on about this game long enough on the pod, but it was a brilliant game of League One football. It was in a, in a night that promised weather-wise to be a slick evening with wind and rain and zip off the surface, etc. And look, to... to come from behind twice to level the game, score a wonderful goal from Mumba, and then to go and win it and have that incredible celebration at full time in front of Denport end over your rivals, cementing our authority. Um, yeah, Exeter 4-2 at home for me. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to go <laughs> with Derby County away. We've, we've said it before, but how many times do you see us come from behind to win. Uh, we went seasons without doing it, but to do it at Derby County, to do it at Pride Park, brilliant day, brilliant performance from Sam Cosgrove, 
just just days like that is what you've travelled the country for, right? That Chelsea, Birmingham, one of those. Take your pick. We had we've had some good ones, haven't we? Let's be fair about it. Twenty twenty two was a good year for the club. Sam has just sent us a message to say that he's uh, lost us. So, uh, but he yes. is he is saying in the in our WhatsApp group that his highlight that he was going to say. Um, instead of the Chelsea game, would be the 5 0 loss at home to MK Dons just because he didn't want us to go up anyway. <laughs> do, you know, do, you know, do you know what? Even, even though he didn't say that, it wouldn't surprise me if he did because he would say something like using it as a springboard to go and win League One. Um, <laughs> yeah, he saw the bigger picture. When we get Sam back, we'll go on to that. But, but we've still got you, John. So um, another sellout at home park to kickstart 2023 against 22nd placed MK Dons, who recently released Liam Manning of his duties as a manager. Over to you for a brief overview. Yeah, I thought it was a somewhat strange game to watch, an incredibly open game, which I guess you would expect from uh, us, a team that play open, expansive football, and MK Dons, a team that play open, expansive football a lot less well than us this season, certainly. Um, but but ultimately, I think it probably boils down to what Sam said earlier in the podcast, I think, about us being ruthlessly efficient. I wouldn't necessarily say we were ruthless today. I think ruthless would have entailed getting that early goal from James Wilson and then just putting the game to bed immediately and, and kind of walking through the rest of it like a training exercise. But we kind of, after letting them back into the game very stupidly, we did get to that point still fairly early in the game, right? Early in the second half when when Morgan Whitaker spanked in that excellent third goal for us. Um, and I think after that, yeah, they had a couple of chances, but really they also had a lot of aimless possession, which as far as I understand it has been the kind of hallmark of their of their season you know have they have a lot of the ball for a team that's struggling so much in the league but don't do enough with it and i felt that we just slowed the pace of the game way down held them at arm's length um and and saw it out uh so while it felt at times like a bit of a weird game of football to watch i think it probably goes into that category of the sort of win that you won't necessarily remember at the end of the season but that paves the way to an end of the season that you will remember let's put it that way um i felt like yeah, there was that period in the first half where, as I said, we let them into the game and kind of needlessly um, could potentially have given away a penalty at, at 1-1 at Lonvike with what looked like at least giving the referee a decision to make with, with a sort of untidy challenge in the box. Um, so maybe rode our luck with that. But pretty quickly after that, I felt we, we rested control of the game back. And, and yeah, I think it's a testament to the fact that we are now a team that against teams who are worse than us, can have that power to dictate games, control games, you know, um, a power that MK Dons had over us, obviously very painfully on the final day of last season. So it was nice, I guess, to repay the favour and, and and see them off in a very, ultimately very professional, if not particularly uh, exciting or inspiring way. You wait for one set-piece goal to come along and then two come along in the space of four days. Yeah. It's marvellous. It's marvellous, isn't it? Mark Hughes it must take all the credit. <laughs> well, I think that the MK Don's defence and goalkeeper should take credit for the first one. It's awful goalkeeping, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's laughable, really. I'm yeah. not sure many Milton Keynes Don's fans will laugh at it. but he's sort well, of I'm not sure there are many Milton Keynes Don's fans, so uh, that's, oh, that's, a, that's, that's, for, that's for another day, that is. That's harsh. <laughs> it's not their fault they're a franchise. Um. But yeah, I felt you know I felt there was some there was some positive performances. Morgan Whitaker once again thought Jordan Houghton pinged the ball around absolutely superbly before being withdrawn around the hour mark. Apparently, he had a touch of, of illness or something, but really moved the ball with a lot of confidence. Which, which hopefully you might think might exorcise some personal demons for him after what happened uh, the last time he played MK Dons at Home Park. Um, but I really zipped the ball around very well. I thought Wilson, the goal aside, was all, was outstanding defensively as well. Um, yeah, it was a, a nice, a nice performance, a very comfortable win. You've done the same as Joe. You've basically answered about ten of my questions, um, so that's absolutely brilliant. Three changes to the lineup saw Joe Edwards, Niall Ennis, and Bally Mumba return to the three-five-two-one post Wickham four-four-two. A return to the high-intensity two with a lot of energy in the middle and down the sides. You've already mentioned most of that. James Wilson's first goal in seventy-two games. I put brilliant hindsight from Wilson. But what is the keeper doing there? You've already answered that. Um, an incredible. Well, I, don't know, I don't know what he was doing there. I haven't necessarily answered that. 
yeah, but but I did raise it. Yeah, uh, it's one of those that you love to see, but you hate against you. Uh, an incredible performance from Whitaker again, two assists and another one of those tidy, uh, long range finishes, taking it to two in this pod alone. Yeah, are we still yet to appreciate just how good Morgan Whitaker is? Well, I guess I think it depends who you ask. I, I think he's pretty good. <laughs> is, he, is he a grower, not a shower? I think there are some frustrating things that he does. Um, you know, in addition to all the really good stuff, I think there are games where, you know, like I think like Charlton away, if I remember correctly, although it was a couple of games ago now, he will be pretty anonymous, give the ball away, hit it into row ZZ, um, you know, several times from the edge of the box rather than pick out a better place teammate. But he then will smash the ball in the bottom corner from the edge of the box or do a delicious slide rule through ball as he did for Niall Ennis's goal today, or within a great set piece as he did for James Wilson's goal today. I mean the man the man very simply is a difference maker and I think that's been clear since almost the beginning of his Argyle career. Uh he is the sort of team a player, sorry, that the teams that get promoted have, which is a player who, however they're playing, it's, it's kind of that point you were making earlier, Aaron, and I, and I would dispute that we've been poor in any of the games over Christmas, which I think might have been the word you used, but, but good teams find a way to win when they're not necessarily at their fluent best. Morgan Whitaker arguably, I think, is that in microcosm, even in games where he might be a bit anonymous uh, or games where he does some frustrating stuff or looks a bit disjointed. He has those moments in his locker seemingly every single week, a goal and assist, He's a difference maker and you have to have players like that if you're going to go up. Now, of course, there's been a lot of speculation on the World Wide Web as to Morgan Whitaker's future and where it may lie. I believe that Stephen Schumacher said today after the MK Dons game that he's not heard anything about Whitaker being recalled by Swansea, which is great. Obviously, if he does go, we'll have to live without him. But you really hope he stays. Not necessarily because he's my favourite player I've ever seen in an Argyle shirt, but because he's one of the most efficient and one who has the most quality moments in his locker of any player I think we've seen in, in quite a long time. Certainly not ever, but but in quite a long time. He's, he's definitely the most high-profile player to shut me up anyway. I remember two or three games in, I, I was tweeting away, half inebriated uh, about how rubbish he was, and um, I was wrong. I'm very sorry. Pete Winkleman, not a man I thought we'd be talking about on this pod, came out in December and informed us all of the MK way, a possession-based style fit for the Premier League. How much of that did we see on show at Home Park? Uh, uh, I thought we saw a lot of it on show from Plymouth Argyle. No, no, that's, <laughs> Sorry, that's proper, that's proper tickle me, that is. <laughs> that's literally the answer I was looking for. MK's last visit to Home Park ruined all promotion hopes, dumping us out of the playoffs on the final day. Would you say it's more that we've that they've fallen off a cliff We've raised our game or a bit of both. I think it's a bit of both, right? Regardless of us, they have fallen off a cliff. I mean, you don't go from third within touching distance of automatic promotion to then the relegation zone in the space of six months without... I mean, that's that just the definition of falling off a cliff. I think that... I could be wrong. I believe I predicted in my beginning of season predictions for League One that they would fall <laughs> away quite substantially certainly not not anything like the extent to which they actually have fallen away but there were a lot of pundits i think who said they would do equally well or similarly well again which i always thought was a lazy analysis because they lost key players over the summer um you know and, and certainly scott twine would come to mind first and foremost because of what he did to us but also harry darling the centre-back who went to swansea uh, kazumu as well that being said, you know, they, they it's not like their squad's been completely ripped up from last season. They they held on to Liam Manning, who was over the summer being linked with jobs at bigger clubs because of what he'd done at MK Dons. Obviously, he's now been sacked. So it is a it is really a disgraceful fall from grace from their point of view. And I think there's a I don't want to be, you know, start 2023 on a down note, and I'm sure this won't necessarily happen to us, but I think there is a warning in there about how fine the margins are in League One. Uh, right, probably in any league, but certainly in, in, in League One, which I think is increasingly just really competitive and difficult, which is you lose a couple of star players and it can just upset the balance of the team just a little bit. And suddenly, you know, those games you were winning 1-0, you start losing 1-0. Um, especially if you're a side that has one system, one philosophy, and you just play that relentlessly. If, if teams figure you out uh, and you don't necessarily have those players who can get around teams having figured you out just by being brilliant star players, 
you can you can go downhill very very fast. And it's the serious flip side of what I've been saying about you know I, the, the joke I made earlier about Argyle playing the MK way is that we do play like that. And if God forbid we don't get out of this league this season, I think that we probably do need to have a look at them as a cautionary tale just to make sure that if we do lose players over the summer or whatever, that that doesn't happen to us. Don't want to get too far ahead of myself. That's very hypothetical. But but yes, I think there is a lesson in there about how cutthroat this league can be and how unforgiving it can be if you if you try and play a philosophy-based style of football and don't really have a, a sort of steely core to the team or a plan B. Um, that being said, I think that we have, since we lost 5-0 to them, got more streetwise. Um, we had an outstanding season last season. We got 80 points. I don't want to say that we were terrible last season and we're great this season. I think it's... it's But, but again, it's, it's a difference of fine margins. This season, we just looked that bit more ruthless. We have those few more players who are difference makers I think it's a lesson in fine margins. And so I think the answer to your question it is it, it is a bit of both, but it's kind of a testament to the same moral about, about the league, I think. Yeah, and, and like you say, it, it could easily be us, right? Say we lose Cooper and Whitaker, then, you know, you're in a similar situation in that you've lost your two game winners or or people that can turn draws into a, into a win, right? So, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on there. Quickly, I don't think it will be us. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm predicting this. I want to be clear before I get at it. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I just think it's a it's a it's a cautionary tale. Nigel Lomvike is splitting opinion online. Thoughts on his performances over the festive period? Uh, I think it's tough. I really like Lomvike in theory, <laughs> um, and, and and often in practice over the course of the season. Uh, you know, I praised him on the pod before. I think he's very good at bringing the ball out of the back three. Um, I think he's got some good instincts. I think, I think he's, I think as I've also said before on the pod, he's very raw and he has mistakes in him. Um, and I think today was a study in those contrasts, right? There were moments, including I think particularly in the second half where he looked really imperious, you know, was snapping into tackles, bringing the ball forward. But there were also headers that went astray and, and you know, times where he gave the ball away. We've already briefly discussed the incident, which could very well have been a penalty against him, uh, where he sort of got bamboozled in the box. I, th- I think it's unfortunately getting to the point for me where I would probably not rate him as being one of our three starting centre-backs in that system. Um, but, you know, as, as the, the aforementioned fitness issues with the others means we'll probably continue to see him there as a, you know, in a starting role more often than not, um, until at least until some of those are resolved. I think he's got great potential. Uh, I think he's a really talented young footballer. Um, but yeah, it's impossible to ignore that there are errors in his game and again as i said it's a league of fine margins and, and those errors can be costly today they weren't but they you know they will be if they if they persist so i, I think i think that that difference of opinion online reflects that the jury is to some extent out on him and i think that's entirely fair one last question before we move into the january transfer window with ipswich and wednesday playing tomorrow by the time you're listening to this they may have already played we've got seven points clear at the top Surely now you've got to believe us. <laughs> the greens are going up. We're, we're, we're at least going up, right? I don't want to bait any answers here. Ugh. I just don't, I don't want to say it out loud. We've got, look, come back to me in February, late February, let's say early March. We've got a lot, a lot, a lot of big games. I, I, look, I think, I think it's out of the question. Uh, again, I don't want to be, put on air saying this, uh, touching all the wood I can access. Um, I, I think it's very hard to imagine us not finishing in the top six. And I think we're clearly one of the best three sides in the league, um, with the possible caveat that Barnsley could make that a best four if they continue on the form they've been showing. They have a couple of games in hand, I believe. But I think we've got a really, really good chance of going up automatically. And, and if not, should be in a very good position to have a very good crack at the playoffs, although obviously that's not exactly how the playoffs work. John doesn't want to nail his colours to the mass. I will firmly nail my colours on to the mass. Yeah, um, I'll drive the bu- I'll drive the bus if they want. <clears throat> Square the around Royal Parade. Wembley to um, the playoff Yeah, but no, no, not unless we're going as supporters of somebody else. Um, but I will quite happily, you know, help them paint the Civic Centre green or whatever they want to do because. Um, I said earlier, we beat Wickham twice in a season. We can achieve anything. And by the by, the way, if you if you 
think that my answer was tortured and equivocating. You should be very glad that Sam's internet connection has failed and that he's dumped off the pod. Uh, although even even he is starting to get to the point where he's finding it hard to deny that we're in a very good, looking in very good shape. Just before Jules Holland drew in the new year with his annual hootenanny, Argyle announced the signing of Ben Wayne, a striker from Wellington Phoenix, a New Zealand international, vaguely following in the footsteps of Rory Fallon. We've caught up with our friends in New Zealand to bring you a bonus pod on all things Ben Wayne. So I think we're going to skip it for today, but look out for that one in the week. January sees the transfer market spring open. Which positions do you guys feel we need to strengthen, if at all? All of them. Left wing back. (laughs) Um, First of all, we need a body in there. Um, Hold that thought. Um, Well, there's strong, strong, strong rumours that Saxon early is coming in from Norwich. And that that's all confirmed, right? I was going to say, by the time this podcast goes out, we may or may not be signing. so yeah hold that thought in regards to that um aaron will probably be more in the know about all this given his residence um in return of anything else i think we need another body in midfield um obviously the last 24 36 hours ourselves linked with harvey nibs from cambridge i mean this is going to be happening all month isn't it it's going to be links going left right and center um so, yeah, I think another player in that sort of position will be handy. We've obviously brought the Wayne train in to go up front. Wayne's one signing number two that will be announced on Monday is number two, and he wants another two on top of that. So he obviously thinks there's another area. I can only presume it's on the right side. Um, but then if Mumba can play on the right, then is that covered? I don't know. But yeah, left wing back or on the left side, certainly. And at least one more midfielder would be my shopping list. I suppose there's an element of forward <laughs> thinking here, right? In the fact that, that you know, we've already mentioned that quite a few of the squads are injury prone. There's quite a few that, that haven't picked up that many minutes this season. You know, maybe maybe it's just a bit of forward thinking. Obviously, the the link to Saxon early, currently unknown at Stevenage from Norwich, uh, rumours that he's on his way down to sign for Argyle, which I, which I've basically been towards a secrecy into saying nothing. Read of that what you will. <laughs> and if we were to sign him, that that's you know that's a long term replacement for a Connor Grant, right? Like it's it, he's not there to initially take the starting role. I think the same with Ben Wayne. I don't see him, you know, coming in and be a first choice striker. Obviously, you know, form will dictate that. But I think there's, I think a lot of these signings are like forward thinking. I I look at them a little bit differently. Um, so I sort of see Ben Wayne because obviously, you know, Ipswich fans are quite keen to point out we do have five loan players. So five of our squad aren't actually Plymouth Argyle assets. I see it as more like, right, Ben Wayne is the permanent Sam. Saxon Early is, if it is to be, Saxon Early. Um, He is the permanent Bali member. He is the permanent option at that side. So we're sort of planning for next year in the respect that the lone players won't be here. If the um, story from the... Uh, Telegraph or the Mail, whichever it was, journalist about Harvey Nibs is to be correct. Who's to say he isn't the permanent Finazaz or the permanent Morgan Whitaker? Um, that's sort of the way I'm looking at it is that yes, we've got these loan players in, and as far as the football club are concerned, they are with us for the whole season. I just wonder whether these signings, given their ages and their pedigrees, whether or not they're also for the the next the next step and beyond. I think I think there's an element of that, definitely, given um, you know age and, and potential, hopefully, potentially higher resale value of some of these players, um, who, you know, both who we've actually signed and who we've been linked with. But I, th- I think it's hard to ignore that it is about strengthening the squad for the run-in as well. I think it's about mm-hmm. depth, which we have been short on compared to the clubs which we're going toe to toe, and I think we've we've all seen that in the last couple of months when we've had when we've had those injuries. Something we did. Last January, yeah, um, we're, we're spending seemingly good money for Plymouth Argyle Football Club on 
on some of these players and we're doing it now. And I think if it was about the future, um, I think the summer would be more the time to do it. If it, if it was only about the future, I think the summer would be more more the time to do it than, than now. You know, obviously there is there is a, a fear of paying maybe a premium for players in January. I, I, I hope and I think based on the early evidence and, and some of the stuff on the rumour mill that Simon Hallett has taken a look at this situation that we're in and concluded that this is an amazing, amazing chance for us to hugely accelerate our five-year plan and get back into the championship now. And, you know, maybe we don't have the resources, and this is getting ahead of ourselves again, to be massively competitive in the championship. Time will tell on that front. But just going up there, and even if you go up and come straight back down, the money that comes with that, the the experience of that year playing in the championship, particularly for our, you know, younger players in our squad, makes you, I think, automatically more competitive coming back down um, rather than being someone who's potentially at risk of doing an MK Dons or a, a Lincoln, you know, from a couple of seasons ago, overachieving and then sliding sliding back towards the, the kind of rear end of the table. Um, I think I think there's a lot, you know, I don't, I don't want to be fatalistic about it. I don't think it's all or nothing if we go up this season, but it's a bloody good chance. And I think that this this kind of early burst of activity suggests that in our own way, we are trying to, you know, obviously we don't have the money to break the bank for players who are playing regular championship football or, or whatever to kind of, you know, entice them down another tier or well or anything like that. But we are going to put our money where our mouths are and, and we are going to try and strengthen the squad, add some shrewd additions and, and give it more depth. And, and so, yeah, I don't know if, if, if necessarily the Wayne train will be a, a regular fixture on the, the starting lineup team sheet, but I think you'll feature... And I think all I think all of these players that we're bringing in, we can expect them to to feature between now and the end of the season. Time to plug my article on our very good website of Argo Life. But do you not think this answers the question I said about the test of Simon Hallett's ownership, the first test that he had faced to him, in the respect that we are presented with the most guilt edge opportunity to get to achieve that five-year plan within the time frame the football club set, that he has looked at it, as John says, and gone, right, this is the moment. Let's seize the moment. Let's not let this opportunity slip. As I said earlier, you know, we sort of didn't, well, I mean, we didn't really strengthen last January, did we? Um, and, you know, let's use this now as a springboard and let's really go for it. Prove that we're serious, hence the early signing of the Wayne train potentially the early signing Saxon early. No, no pun intended. No, in yeah, I, I didn't even realise that. Just rolled off the tongue. It's the way you sell them. Um, but yeah, going back on track, this Hallett, I think, showing his... I mean, he won't take any credit for this. He's Zach Newton, Andrew Parkinson, David Ray, the head of finance, and all the other members, Neil Jewsniff and all the other people on the board. But at the end of the day, he signs the paper, doesn't he, as the owner chairman. And this is a real sign for me of where he sees, A, his trust in Schumacher in the process, and B, his belief that the club that he is the custodian of is now ready for that next level. And that's why we're going for it this January, in my opinion. Yeah, I think... I think... The early, no pun intended, again, signs are that that might well be the case. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, I mean, I would. I don't think it's going to be a. Qu I don't. It's January either, by the way. No, I, I think what I would love to see, um, and we've discussed. I mean, Joe, you've already discussed some of the positions where I think we all can all agree that some reinforcements would be good. But a central midfield for me is 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 the one I think more than any other where. I really, really want to see someone come in because I think that relying on Butcher, Randall and Houghton, two of them playing every week, is is limiting and potentially of concern in terms of their fitness and, and tiredness and all the rest of it. I think we really need someone to come in there. So I think we discussed it positionally. Uh, maybe I'm a, a, you know, a year dad. I'd love to see someone come in who's had experience of a League One or, or in any league, really, promotion campaign. Maybe someone who's a bit more of a, a battle axe someone who's a bit of an older head um, who might be available on, on a, a free or a cut price deal 
I just kind of think that, that sometimes that mentality can get you a long way in these sorts of situations. And, and given that so much of our squad is quite green, I think that maybe just someone who's a bit more grizzled might be might be welcome. Obviously, it would have to be someone who can is, is good enough and fit enough to contribute on the pitch as well. Yeah, I'm not, I think Sam would vigorously disagree with this take if he was still uh, in the in the call. But um, someone who can come on late in games, maybe in steady the midfield and just do a job and keep it ticking over. Like what Darren Pratley used to do for Charles and really irritate me. Yeah. Come on for half hour, kick some people, break the play up and just generally slow everything down to make sure you've got into the winning position. I think we have been a lot less naive this season, by and large, than last season, which is great. But some of the naivety arguably came at the business end of last season, Um, in addition to having just a very difficult run of games on paper. Uh, at the back end of last season, but you know, uh, a couple of people who've been there and done it, and who can add something from a footballing side of things as well, uh, would not go amiss. In terms of outgoings, Brandon Purcell has joined Tavistock. That's promotion over. Yeah, I, I don't want to give too much attention to the Twitter rumor mill, so I don't even really want to talk about it. Talk of Whitaker being offered to Ipswich on a permanent deal by Swansea. Uh, with Sunderland midfielder Jay Matete being linked as a potential replacement. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a 0 out of 10. Don't really want to talk about that. Yeah. So I hope you're right. Do we think that we've uh, cracked the geography question? Uh, obviously, a lot of players that we sign, or, you know, that we, we've previously missed out on, uh, we've been told that they don't want to move that far away from home. They don't want to come this far south. Do you think we've cracked the geography question in the fact that we've signed the two players now from Australia so therefore they've come north <laughs> so Saxon early coming from Stevenage you know let, let's pick some real chittles that we're like well, um, no, yeah it's it's you know nice to be a, a grim northern chittle for a change for, for you know from Ben Wayne's perspective Next up sees us trek back up north to Bolton Wanderers. Two visits to the Reebok, as it's more fondly known, and two 1-0 wins. Goals from Gillespie and Callum McFashion. Uh, it's already been a long pod, so let's just get the pre-match rabble and any talk of Ian Everts' big mouth out the way. Uh, let's go straight for predictions, Joe. Are we sure it wasn't Jeff Cottage school? <laughs> People will find out about all that at the end of the season. Um, my prediction 1 0. I think we'll win it. I don't, you know, whether or not we're particularly impressive, I don't really care. Um, but I do think we will continue our winning streak. Um, I think it's one defeat in 20 or 21 in the league now. Only Port Vale have managed to beat us since Charlton. Um, which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, just go up there, get the job done. Points, not necessarily a bad result. I mean, we'll obviously find out that tomorrow, depending on how Ipswich or whatever people listen, they might know what the result is when Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday play. Yeah, depending on that result, a point may not be the end of the world up there. Um, and they're in decent neck, aren't they? So I did actually, interestingly, little footnote, um, I will let John speak now. Um, that Paul Warren did say when Derby drew nil nil there the other day about the state of the pitch. Um, he had a few concerns about that it wasn't a particularly great pitch for free flowing football. Um, so Sam Cosgrove will probably start and we will score, you know, five or six route one football. I'll take it. I'll take a one nil. To be fair, just move on for you. You can have the last question, John. Uh, January's run. Bolton, Ipswich, Cheltenham, Accrington, Derby. 15 points available. How many do you think we're picking up? Ugh. I don't necessarily want to nail my colours to the mask on that one either. I think I think we'll have a couple of defeats in, in among those, unfortunately. <laughs> and I think that Bolton will be will be one of them. Um, and <laughs> not, that this, not that this is anything necessarily about, you know, New Year's resolution in hand of, of enjoying the ride and everything, but... Uh, I think Bolton looked very formidable this season. Uh, they were pretty good last season uh, when we won up there, but they're a better side this season. Have a habit of, of really going to the end of games and, and nicking late goals. Tough place to go. I, I think we're due a defeat away from home, and I think it might be up there. I, I, I'm not a doom monger about 
about our prospects in, in this run of quite difficult games against teams that are in and around us or, or in and around the playoff places uh, below us. Um, I think, you know, we've got a good chance of getting points in a lot of them. Just think Bolton has the air of a game that we might lose, but that's that's all I can really attribute it to. Um, as for the others, Ipswich, I think I, I would bite your hand off for a point in all likelihood. Um, Accrington away, we should really... I think anything other than three points would be a very disappointing result up there, given how poor they've been this season. What were the other two fixtures, Aaron? Sorry. Bolton, Ipswich, Cheltenham, Accrington, Derby. Right. So Cheltenham and Accrington, six points, if you if I'm going to answer your original question. Um, I'll have us getting a point against Ipswich and a point against Derby and losing at Bolton. Thereby saying that when I when I said we'd have a couple of defeats in among that run. I'll amend that to one defeat and two draws. So that makes what eight points from the five eight points. points. Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll stick my neck out and go for that. Nice. This is an absolutely incredibly long pod, so I think we'll call it a day there, and we'll pick up any questions next time out. <laughs> See you later. See you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.